Hey, thanks for tuning in to Upper Room, our Wednesday night service. Tonight we'll hear part two of Lee Pastor Andy Bowles, Reaching My World for Jesus. Jesus from Genesis 1 and before is known as the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world in Revelation chapter 22 and the very last word contained in the Bible. He is the conqueror of all conquerors. He is the one who has kicked death in the mouth and he has defeated our sin through the resurrection of his tomb and he is the one who proclaims I am alive and alive forevermore and I am coming again and this very goodness of this good gospel that has saved us is good enough to get to everybody in the world, right? And so we, we, talk, about, we talk about missions a lot because we do missions a lot because, because honestly we're missionaries, right? It's what we're supposed to do as God's people. So we've, we've been talking the past couple of Wednesdays, including this one, uh, reaching my world for Jesus. This month, we've we've entertained Teen Challenges. They've been here and they've ministered to us through testimony and and we we focus on recovery. Right now, we've got uh, around 20 people that we're sponsoring in faith-based Christian recovery. Uh, we've we've been able, Amen. We've been able to launch the Peace House and focus on recovery. And guys, we're going to continue to do the work of recovery. We are a church plant that is planting church plants. Not only have we uh, become the sending church for church at the Ark in Philadelphia, Mississippi, we believe and trust that God is going to use us as a church plant to multiply and have other church plants come from this church through its leadership and its membership and those who are called and partner together with other church plants around, not just locally, but around the world. We heard a testimony this past Sunday from Brother Michael about jail ministry, and it is our heartbeat as God's people to go into the jails and prisons with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and freely proclaim that even though you may be behind bars physically, you don't have to be behind bars spiritually, right? You may be wearing some chains physically. You don't have to wear those chains spiritually. Jesus Christ can set you free. I enjoyed saying the other day to a man who had spent a lot of time in incarceration, and I told him this. I said, Jesus said in John chapter chapter 8, verse 32 and 36, that the, you should know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And then verse 36, he says, and if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And you guys know what that word indeed means, right? It means for real, for real, for real, for real. And so Jesus can set the captive free. That's exactly what he is coming. Uh, he has come to do. And he will come to those who are captivated now by their sin and set them free. This coming up Sunday, we've got Brother Richie Womack, who was a lead elder for us in the earlier stages of our ministry and a training elder for us that trained our initial core of elders and has left an impact on us through that ministry. And Richie Womack has a, has a, a, a missions ministry called 110 Vision in Hoto um, Ministry to where they minister to orphans in Kenya 
and in Peru and they plant churches in those areas and he's going to be here this Sunday and he's going to talk to us about world missions and then we're going to talk about some local missions the very last Sunday of the month with Troy Nettles about Gideon ministry through getting out God's word freely into the hands of those who are not able to have a copy of God's word but then also talk about what's called the Forest Aid Fund which is something that we as a church partner in together with other local churches to help people who are transient have a place to stay for a night and and get a meal and there are people who are a part of this church who have recently jumped on board with that and we'll talk about some of that later on next Wednesday guess what next Wednesday is October the 27th that's the last Wednesday of the month of October and that is our missions fest and there's going to be a lot of fun stuff happening this room's going to be full of tables and and uh, ministry vendors if you want to call it that there's going to be opportunities for you guys to sign up for different things whether it's a part of embrace ministries through ministry teams or it might be with other ministries that we partner together with and you can say you know what I love that I'm called to that I feel a heartbeat of that let me see what I can do to help with that ministry or with that mission and we're not going to leave out the kids either because this is candy month right and so everybody likes some candy and so we're going to make sure that we have a trunk or treat kind of situation for the kids and the youth are going to be involved in that and just a lot of good stuff happening, right? And so last Wednesday, we talked about reaching my world for Jesus and my, in parentheses, right, my world, I can't be everywhere in the world. There are certain parts of the world I'll never go because I'm just one person. Fact of the matter is, I may not have the resources or finances to get there, may not feel the calling or leading to get there. I don't have the time. I don't expect to be here a hundred thousand years to be able to go everywhere and, and talk to every single individual in the world. But my world includes those to whom God has given me responsibility with and of and the, the, those that my life can touch in their life. And so my world can mean a lot of different things. As a matter of fact, every person in this room defines that statement differently depending on the people that are involved in your life. My world is different than your world because the people in my life can be different than the people in your life. Sometimes they blend through. Obviously, we're a church family and it will do that, but there's other people in my life and my family just like there is in your life and in your family. And so last Wednesday, we looked in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse one through 12, and we talked about reaching my family for Jesus. You guys remember the back scratcher illustration. Brilliant illustration, by the way, right? Off the chain, good stuff. Because a back scratcher, the reason you have a back scratcher is because there is a place close to you that's hard to reach. And so you need a back scratcher to be able to reach that hard to reach place. It's close, you can't get it. Just like your family, it's real close, but so hard to reach. How many of you guys have have family members who are far away from Christ and they've not trusted in Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, I would say probably all of us, all of us have family members who have never fully surrendered their lives to Jesus. And so last week we talked about, as we looked through Deuteronomy chapter six, family first in this effort of reaching my world for Jesus. And we talked about leaning into those that you live with, leading those that you love, learning unforgettable lessons together, laboring to maintain the good gift. And so I wanna encourage you that if you're one of those people who are super ambitious for Jesus, 
and desire to share the good news of God through a, an honest testimony or a witness. By the way, let me say this. There was years ago a, a poll put out by George Barna, which is a research firm to put all these statistics together. They're a Christian group. And they said, let's find out how many evangelical Christians in the world love to share their faith. And they were really hoping for this staggering statistic, you know, 100%, 95%, 90%. And they did actually get 94% but not in the positive side, in the negative side. And it was known by the George Barna Research Center that 94% of people who consider themselves to be Christian never have shared their faith with any human being. I mean, 6% of Christianity is actually actively looking for the lost sheep to try to bring them to Jesus. You know what I've learned in seven years with this group of people? I would dare say that it's probably 99.9% .9 of this crew that is sharing our faith, right? We are actively going after that, that lost sheep. And man, we want to go after that lost sheep that is, that is of our fold, of our flock, in our pasture, in our home. But also tonight we're going to take another look in another angle and talk about that sheep that is our neighbor we, we want to we wanna reach our world for Jesus. We want to reach our family for Jesus. But we want to also reach our, our neighbor for Jesus. If you got your Bible, flip over to a very familiar passage of Scripture with me in Luke chapter 10. And you're going to recognize this passage real quick when you get there. Luke chapter 10. And we're going to start in verse 25. Luke chapter 10 is, uh, is, is Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third book of the New Testament. John is the last of the four recorded Gospels, and then Acts is after that. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, New Covenant. This is the New Testament, the new agreement with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. So Luke chapter 10, Luke is that, that, that physician, that Gentile who gave his life to Jesus after the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and was fully converted to follow Jesus because he was assured of the fact, that's what he says to Theopolis. If you read Luke chapter one in the first few verses, he writes unto you Theopolis and, 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 and Luke is the one that also wrote the Acts of the Apostles and he's writing kind of a second letter to Theopolis. He's telling Theopolis about what Jesus has done and then the result of what Jesus did in the book of Acts. And so now we pick up with a story in verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. By the way, the, the him, the him is Jesus, okay? <laughs> it's, it's just a very comical thing right here. Saying, Master, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Then he, Jesus, said unto him, the lawyer, what is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, the lawyer says to Jesus, amen, sister. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart and with all of thy soul and with all of thy strength and with all of thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. Hold on now. And he, Jesus, said unto him, the lawyer, Thou hast answered right, this do and thou shalt live. Now, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of time. This could be a series of messages. But I want you to understand, Jesus is using a lot of stuff right here in helping this person get to the place 
first of all, not necessarily to be saved, ultimately, yes, to be saved, but to the place to where this person sees the need for themselves to be saved. This is the deal, guys, uh, in, 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 in an, uh, uh, an effort that we have to, to win those around us to Jesus, they first have to see themselves as someone who needs to be found or someone who needs to be saved or someone who needs to be rescued. If you look in a lake and you see a guy that is drowning and you swim out to that guy who is drowning and you try to rescue a guy who is drowning, but he don't know he's drowning, he's going to beat you to death and take you under the water with him. And so Jesus, he's not attempting to explain a way to work your way into heaven. That's not what he's saying. Remember the first part of that where he says, and Jesus was being tempted with this question. Jesus knew the heart of every man. Therefore, he did not commit himself to man. That's what the gospel says. The good thing is, is Jesus knows your heart too. He knows my heart too. He knows our intentions. He knows our strengths and all of our strengths are honestly, if we're all honest with one another, is absolute weaknesses. And yet he has decided for us to commit himself to the will of God through the cross so that through the empty tomb, he might be able to offer us uh, himself, which, which in turn is an investment from God on our behalf. And so here, this, this guy, I mean, it's so much to unpack here. Verse 29, but he, the lawyer, see, this is the problem with this dude. Okay. He's trying to trick, trip up Jesus. Jesus throws it right back at him. You're a lawyer. What does the law say? I know what the law says. Now, by the way, when, when, when we're talking about a lawyer here, we're not talking about a guy that you're going to go to the government court and you need a, a representative from, from, from somebody you pay and they stand and know the books of the governmental law. This is a lawyer who knows the law of God, the old covenant, the old Testament. We're in the beginning of the new covenant of the new Testament. They're still operating by the standard, the spiritual standard of the old Testament. Testament. And so this guy is one that was held in very high regards by their culture. This guy comes to Jesus. His intentions are to trip up Jesus. And he says, what do I need to do, master, to be saved? And Jesus says, well, you know the law. You're a lawyer. What does the law say? Well, the law says to love God with everything that I am and love my neighbor as myself. And so Jesus throws this back in. Why did Jesus say this do and thou shalt live? Because the fact of the matter is that lawyer ain't done. Therefore, he can't live. Because nobody's kept the law. Every one of us are broken on the law. Right? We're all shattered by the standard of God through the law. Therefore, none of us have kept the law. How many of us without a showing of hands have ever told a lie. You say, Andy, it's just a little white lie. I really didn't mean anything by it. A lie's a lie, doesn't matter. And if we've told a lie, then we've broken a commandment of God, right? And James chapter two, verse 10 says that if you've offended one part of the law, you've offended it all. Therefore, if we've broken one part of the law, the 10 commandments, we've might as well broken all of the commandments. But the fact of the matter is we haven't just broken one, have we? 
Okay, here you go. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He says, Master, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Seems like it's the buzz question of the gospel, right? What do I need to do to go to heaven? Jesus says to him, not what does the law read, love your neighbor as yourself, but he says to him, keep the commandments. I've done them since my youth. Well, there's the 10th one that says, thou shalt not covet. And Jesus says, go sell everything you've got, give to the poor and come follow me. And so what was his problem? His problem may not have been necessarily lying, but it was loving what he had because what he had actually had him the material possessions. Therefore, that was his issue. This is this guy's issue. He says, what does the law say? Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, thou hast answered right, this do and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself, says to Jesus, oh boy, should have shut up when the timing was right. Any, any of you, I know you guys don't keep talking when you should be shutting up. Right? <laughs> we don't do that. This guy right here, he could have just put the brakes on, said, all right, got the green light. Let me go ahead and escape out of here. Jesus still knows that guy's heart. As a matter of fact, God in flesh, Jesus knew this conversation 8.973 bazillion years before it happened. So Jesus knew. The next part. Jesus knew the guy wasn't going to leave it alone. Jesus knew this guy was looking for more excuse for his own behavior. The guy's kind of like us, isn't he? In verse 30, he says, and Jesus answered and said, let me tell you a little story. Jesus likes stories, right? Jesus used a parable. He said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Everything was down from Jerusalem. It was the holy city. It was considered elevated. It was close to God. God said, this is the apple of my eye. Goes down to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his clothes, his remnant, and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by the other side. But a certain Samaritan, not only is this the parable of the good Samaritan, but it seems like it's a parable of certain things, right? <laughs> you see, there was by chance this 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 certain priest and this certain Levite. Now this this certain Samaritan, as it were, these certain thieves. And as he journeyed, came there uh, where he was, and he saw him and had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, the next day. When he departed, he took out two pence. By the way, that's two days wages, two work days money, and gave to the host, the innkeeper, and said unto him, take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. Jesus tells the story and now he asks the question. Jesus said, okay, here's the scenario. Guys leaving Jerusalem, going to Jericho. Thieves attack him, take from him, beat him up, leave him in the ditch for dead. A priest comes walking by and sees him, but instead of having compassion, 
walks away. A Levite, somewhat of the same kind of person, position, sees him and goes to the other side of the road and keeps on walking. But a Samaritan sees him, helps him up, takes care of the need. Not just one day, but another day. And then the next day when he's coming back through. And Jesus said, which, which one of these guys was the neighbor? In verse 37, and he, the lawyer, said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. <laughs> this, is, this is one of the most amazing stories in all of the Bible. Where's this? story coming from. Well, the first few verses, Jesus sends out the 70 to go minister and they come back and they're in awe of what all happened as they go out under the authority of Jesus. Demons are cast out and, and the, the sick are healed and the lame are raised and the, the, the gospel is preached. And so these disciples that, that are hearing this very situation, they're, they're experiencing all that and they come to Jesus and say, wow, Jesus, guess what happened? And then Jesus takes a moment and he prays and thanks the Father for what has been known and seen. He reminds them that I was there when Satan fell. He said, you guys' minds are blown away of what just happened, but the greater thing is that your names are written in the book of life, that you know that when you die, you'll have a home in heaven and that your life now has meaning and purpose as you live it. Guys, that's the most important thing, right? And so if you look at this whole chapter, this chapter as a whole, the chapter as a whole is a description of salvation and what it looks like to become a follower of Jesus. And so if that is a truth from verse one all the way to the last verse in Luke chapter 10, it is a story of using our resource of love to meet the need of a neighbor and be able with that love to love them to Jesus. <laughs> really, when we look at this story, Jesus is teaching us how to reach our neighbors for him. I mean, that's, that's what he's saying through this entire thing when you develop the entire chapter, but encapsulated in these verses of this story of the Good Samaritan. And you might say, okay, Andy, I need, I need this broke down just a little bit more. Help me see how this story teaches me how to reach my neighbors for Jesus. Well, the first thing that I see in this passage, this story about helping me and you reach our neighbors for Jesus is we got to be able to identify who our neighbor is. Who is our neighbor? It's the question that's being asked, right? Who is your neighbor? Now this is, this is hey look guys, everybody up, look right quick, quick, up here. This is the knee-jerk response to all of us. Who's my neighbor? What's my address? There's a number here and there's a number there and there's a number there and there's a number there. That's my neighbors, right? I live in a neighbor. Yeah, there you go. You with me, right? You picking up what I'm putting down. All right, so that's my neighborhood. I have neighbors around me. And sometimes our mindset is, okay, that's, that's my mission field with my neighbors. And it is. I'm not saying it's not. But, but I believe Jesus helps us identify who the neighbor is more specifically than just those that are living in proximity of our home location, Right? And so, so remember this lawyer, this guy who knows the law, approaches Jesus, attempting to trip him up, says, yeah, but Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't say, okay, where do you live? 
Jesus did not even say to him, what do you do? You might have neighbors at your workplace. The guy that's down the hall or the person across the cubicle or the guy on the other side of the assembly line or this person on that side of the plant or this guy that's at that work job or the fellow that I pick up every morning to ride with me to work. And those can be considered neighbors. I'm not necessarily saying they're not. But in this parable, in this story, in the way in which we are thinking about reaching our neighbors, who is our neighbor, identifying our neighbor is identifying someone and someone who has a need. Jesus says to the lawyer, where you live? No. Jesus says to the lawyer, where do you work? No. Jesus says to the lawyer, where do you play? What's your social activities? No, he doesn't do that. But this is what Jesus says. When is the last time you saw a need? What was the face of that need? Jesus said, when God said hundreds of years before and that lawyer when he was a 13-year-old boy in bar mitzvah quoted the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy, quoting that passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We just talked about it last week and said we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Huh. God was planning something in the heart of that Jewish boy. God's planning something in the heart of every follower of Jesus here with this truth about that neighbor, that neighbor that's the person of that need that you can reach, that you can share and that you can speak to. This guy says, wanting to justify himself. This is what we do a lot of times. You know who your neighbor is. You know what that need is. You see that face. You recognize that need. But sometimes we make the excuse. Right? Love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love a neighbor as myself. Who's my neighbor as a person with need? There's a lot of people with need, right? How many people in this room have any kind of need? I'll throw both of them up quick. I got all sorts of needs, ones you know about and ones you don't know about, right? <laughs> all of us have some kind of need. What, what, is, what is the issue with identifying who our neighbor is, noticing the need, sometimes is overlooked by some excuse we give not to meet the need. He willing to justify himself. He willing to make the excuse. This is, this is the way the excuse fleshes itself out with us. I ain't the preacher. What am I supposed to say? I don't have the money. Who can afford that? I don't, I don't have the time. Don't this guy know I'm busy? Right? And so all of these excuses surface up in our life, not necessarily in his life. I mean, he had the excuses willing to justify himself. Who is my neighbor? Your neighbor is that person with need. Go and do likewise. Don't overlook. Now, I've been praying, God, as I bring this point, 
to the people that you have chosen to be here tonight through this rain to get here. How many of y'all got wet getting into the building? Hey, you overcome a challenge. Hallelujah. And so, so you're here tonight because God brought you here tonight. And I've been praying and I've been saying, God, as I speak about this point, let them see a face in their mind. Let them hear a name in their mind. Let them remember. May have been a day or two ago. May have been an hour ago. May have been a year ago. May have been 10 years ago. But identify who your neighbor is. Who is your neighbor? Jesus in, in, in verse 27, he, he explains who the neighbor is from verse 27 to verse 29. And, 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 and Jesus is using that common thought throughout the good news of the gospel to remind us that we can do physical things to meet practical needs so that we can ultimately get to a spiritual place. These waters. How many of y'all drank your water? That's a blessing, ain't it? Good. You can drink that water. There's a table full of more waters. If you drank your water, if you didn't drink your water, make sure you grab water before you leave. Let this water not just be a reminder to you. There's a little tab on it. There's different thoughts and Bible verses that are on this tab. But what the goal is, is to take this water and use it as a way to remind you, a way to enable you to go out with compassion and identify a neighbor so that you can meet a need physically so that you can meet a need spiritually. We have guys and ladies come into this building all the time. This week has been all the time. Hey, I don't know if y'all know there's been a full moon lately, you know what I'm saying? And so, <laughs> and so we, we get groceries to people. And I talk to people, and I know the rest of the staff talk to people. They tell us things about what's going on in their life. Some have trusted Jesus. Some have not trusted Jesus. Some live a lifestyle that doesn't look like they've ever trusted Jesus. Sometimes their mouth says yes, but their life says no. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And so what do we do with a bag of rice? What do we do with some information to fill out to get you somewhere that you need to be? What, is it, what, is it, what does it mean to put gas in a gas tank of a car or swipe a card at a hotel to get somebody shelter for a night? What do we do those things for? Because we want to go and do likewise. Because we, we, we want to identify our neighbor. This guy who's traveling from Georgia to here is not my neighbor. He's living in Georgia as far as what we think neighborhood is. But no, he is my neighbor because he's come to me because he's got a need and we can help meet that need. And so for the first thought then is, is to identify your neighbor. But the second thought Jesus is teaching us on how to reach our neighbors for him is discover who you are. Now you guys, you guys know the first point. Identify your neighbor, the person of need. Guys, there are two gentlemen that I've met, seen, that are, that are in town close to Walmart, who have need, right? We identify that need. We attempt to meet that need, right? Flagging, looking for some food, money. One of them trying to get back to Texas, Decatur, Texas. Want to meet that guy's need, right? It's easy to see a need. 
Because you can see it and forget about it if you don't have compassion. You can see it and not want to recognize it or do anything about it or make excuses so you're not responsible for it, at least in your mind, you're still responsible for it. But this is the tough part right here. Discover who you are. There are four different sets of characters in this parable. Okay, there's the man that is coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he ain't doing nothing but minding his business, making his way, point A to point B. He's got business on his mind, right? And he's, he's going. And then there's another group, the thieves, that, that are in ambush. They see him. They attack him. They beat him up. They leave him for half dead after taking his stuff. They're cruel. Their only objective is to beat up. Beat up. Get what I want, take what I want, beat him up and leave him for half dead. And then there is a priest. Now, now this, is, this is crazy how Jesus does this. He talks about a priest. A priest is more about the duty than it is the person. I want you to hold on for that thought just a minute. It's more about what to do than who they are. And so this priest has certain obligations that he has signed up to do, not just what he needs to do in the temple, but how he is supposed to live his life. One of the things he's supposed to do is to abstain from touching things that are dead. So he's making his way and he sees this dude in a ditch, half dead. Hmm. Right? He bounces his eyes, covers his heart, ignores the situation. This guy is in my world, he is my neighbor, but I don't have time and I can't get my hands dirty with his life. His problems are his problems. Everybody's got problems. He just needs to know how to deal with his problems. The priest has a duty, so he continues on. The next guy that comes through is a Levite. It's more about who he is. It's a position, a title. He's been born into a tribe, into a family. He's got a name. He sees this guy, and guess what he does? Because it's somewhat of the same situation as a priest. The priest is the doer. The Levite is the one who is known by. And so what does he do? He sees the guy, same situation. I'm here. He's here. I'm here and he's here. I got all this and he's got all that and I'm not gonna stop to help him. Everybody would see me, look at me and help him and I can't because he's the low life. He's the beat up. He's the one in trouble. He's the one in need. I got everything I need. I'm, I'm up here. I'm a higher echelon of a person in, in life and so it's just, this is who he is and so the thieves beat him up. The priest and the Levite pass him up. And then there is a good Samaritan. I cannot explain to you how much this shocks, this shocks the ears of this Jewish lawyer when Jesus says this, this good Samaritan, this Samaritan, a certain Samaritan comes. Who is a Samaritan? Well, if you'll, if you'll study 
uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, Ezra, the 10th chapter, there were Jews who married strange wives. And as the product of those marriages, these children were born foreign wives with Jewish men produced Samaritan people. The Jews looked at them like, "Uh, uh-uh, no way y'all are a bunch of dogs. I ain't got nothing to do with you. This is kind of how we looked at Mendenhall growing up. Go Trojans. So it's kind of how we look at Auburn today. I hate Auburn, right? And so <laughs> that's, that felt way too real when I said that. So the Samaritan, who should have had nothing to do with this guy, Jesus didn't use the priest or the Levite. They passed him up. But the Samaritan had compassion and stopped. The thieves beat him up. The priest and the Levite passed him up. But the Samaritan helped him up. You see, this is what's going to happen when you identify your neighbor. You're also going to discover who you are. (laughs) Boy, it got quiet, right? You're going to discover who you are. I'm going to beat him up. I'm going to pass him up. I'm going to help him up. This good Samaritan helped him up. He stopped. He took the time. Did the good Samaritan have an agenda? Did he have a place to go? Did he have reason? Yeah, he's got all this stuff. He's got plans too, but he's willing to allow his plans to be interrupted because this is a truth that we all need to make sure that we live by. Andy, you need to hear this and live by this. Your plans don't trump people. What's next on your calendar is not greater than who God put next in your life. Just can't be that way, right? And so the Samaritan, he stops and he's discovered who he is. He is a helper in the situation. Are you finding yourself as a helper in the situation? Now I'm preaching to you a little bit of weighty law on you right now that all of us at all times should be the Samaritan. But the fact of the matter is, We know that not all times are we going to be the one that helps up. There's going to be times that we pass up. So here's a little bit of mercy, okay? Here's a little bit of mercy. Understand that if in your mind you thought of a person earlier that you passed up that was your neighbor, understand that God has grace and mercy for you in that moment of being compassionless. Here's your moment of grace and mercy that Think about the person in your life who was the good Samaritan for you when you was in the ditch. Think about who that was. That that, now, now, yeah, we could spend a whole lot of time on thinking about the ones who beat us up. That we, we, that's our enemies, right? We think about them very harshly. We think about those who passed us up. They're not necessarily our enemies, but man, they irritate us because they could have helped us and they didn't help us. We spend a lot of time on those people. But that Samaritan, let me ask you about, is is everybody thinking about the Samaritan in their life for just a minute? Think about the Samaritan in your life. How do you feel about that Samaritan? Mm. Man, I think about about the Samaritan in my life. She was a 91-year-old grandmama that we put in the ground about a month and a half ago who prayed for a nasty stinky little rebellious boy that lived an hour north of her in a poor home in McGee with a house that was way too crowded for too many kids. And yet she prayed for me. 
she beat heaven's door so that I would come to know Jesus. I think about that preacher who didn't have to take the time to listen to this little scrawny boy's athletic attempts, but love me enough to do it and then tell me his own stories and spend that time with me. Even though I knew I was going back home to a house of an alcoholic and did not know what to expect in that moment. House was in disarray, other families rebellious, and yet a good Samaritan spoke to me. I think about those, those good Samaritans and I'm going to tell you what it makes me want to do. It makes me want to be one of compassion and it makes me want to be able to discover who I am and I want that I am in me to be the good Samaritan for the person who's next in my life. Identify who your neighbor is. Discover who you are. But then the last thing Jesus does in teaching us how to reach our neighbors for him is we got to get to the bottom of our willingness. We got it. The fact of the matter is every human being other than Jesus who has lived on this planet has only scratched the surface of our willingness. And you say, Andy, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've given up. You don't know how far I have gone. I do not know all of that, but I do know human beings. And I do know how reserved we can be with our surrender. And I do know how we can, we can try to, as much as we don't think we do, have a little plan B to the side. Right? <laughs> but God, if that doesn't work out. And so very few ever sees the, the get to the bottom of your will. It's a challenge for you. It's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for us for the rest of our life. And this is the deal because we scratch the surface and very rarely go any deeper than that. Understand that we who are found in Christ Jesus, when we have, think about the bottom of our willingness, the bottom is unfindable. Why? Because when we're found in Christ, there is no bottom to his willingness. There's no breath, no depth, nor height. His ways are unsearchable. You can't get to the, to the bottom of his willingness. And so, so we got to get to the bottom of our willingness. And, and, and the thing is, is a lot of times we're the ones that put a false bottom and we think we've got to the bottom. And I'm just going to be honest with you. We, we, I, I've been dealing with some things you know, ministry-wise, and there's been a couple of times I thought this is the bottom. It wasn't the bottom of my willingness. It was the bottom of my patience. <laughs> I know y'all don't know nothing about that. And so what is, what is Jesus teaching us here? Look in verse 34, and we're going to wrap this up. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds. He did that. He, he, he went to him compassionately went to him, bound his wounds up. You know, um, who knows what latex gloves are? Yeah. Who knows what them big yellow rubber gloves are you clean toilets with? They ain't having them. Neither one of them, right? This man goes, I'm quite sure, this is a parable, a story, but back in that day, barehanded, 
bound up his wounds, touched his blood, poured on the oil and the wine for medicinal purposes, and set him on his own beast, his animal. You know, in the mindset of the Jews, it was probably a donkey or something, and brought him to an end, and he took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, took out two days' wages. By the sweat of your brow, you will receive fruit from the ground. This guy's worked for this, and now he is giving this up to a man who probably, at least in the story, cannot respond to him because he's half dead. And he gave to the host and said to him, take care of him, and whatever you spend more when I come again, I'm coming back, I will repay of thee, repay thee. You know what Jesus is really doing in this story? He's telling us like he's telling the lawyer, hey guys, I want you to identify your neighbor. I want you to discover who you are. I want you to delve deep into the bottom of your willingness. Go to the expense. Go to the end. Go to the second mile. Greet those who don't greet you. Love your enemies. They're not going to love you, but you love those who despitefully use you. You do all of this without an expectation of return from them because God is watching. He'll return. He'll bless. He's telling us all this, and this is how we can reach our neighbor. But take a, take a step out of this for just a moment and look back in that. And when you see that a, a certain Samaritan saw that guy in the ditch, that certain Samaritan is Jesus. And I think Jesus, among everything else, is telling the story of him with the lawyer. <laughs> Jesus is like, man, I'm... You're coming down from Jerusalem. You're leaving the place that God wants for you. And you're going to a place of, of history and regret. And thieves, the enemy has beat you up and thrown you in the ditch. And those that, that, that you thought would probably be ones to stop and help you have not stopped and help you. You cannot do this yourself. The law can't save you. Your works can't save you. Your good deeds, you can't put them in a balance in the end and say, maybe my good stuff will outweigh my bad stuff. And Jesus will say, come on in. None of that is going to work for you. Your grandma can't be saved for you. Your daddy and mama can't be saved for you. Husband and wife can't be saved for you. None of that is going to work. The things that we think in the rationale of our flesh is not going to fix it. And for Jesus had to come walking by your road and had to see you in your ditch and with compassion be moved over you and pick you up and bind your wounds and pour in his oil and his wine and put you on his beast and take you to a place you couldn't get by yourself and make provisions for you, not just in the moment, but for the future. And pay for it all out of himself. And then say, I'm going to come back. <laughs> it's going to be okay. I'm going to leave him here for a little while. He's going to get well. Take care of him with these resources. But I'm coming back. You see, I think we take up the example of Jesus in the Good Samaritan 
to where we go the second mile, we keep digging toward the bottom of our willingness. And when we think we've done everything we can, we dig a little bit more in that willingness for the sake of one person surrendering their life to Jesus. Guys, listen. I know we love things like a nice car to drive, lights and air conditioning and heat and all that kind of good stuff. We like the vacations and we like the clothes and the name brands and all of that stuff. None of that compares to a soul being rescued from the depths of hell. And I'm afraid sometimes we get so wrapped up with the things in this rat race of life and doing what we want to do that we're passing up the person God put next in our life. Who is that person that God's pointing out saying that's your neighbor? That's your neighbor. I didn't create you to be one who beats up or passes up, but I created you because of my spirit inside of you to help them up. Why? Because you're following me and that's what I do.